Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Just because we have chiseled abs and stunning features, it doesn't mean that we too can't not die in a freak gasoline fight accident. Michael Preston. Welcome back to another edition of the Kook Center Hour. Probably not quite a full hour this week. There's, you know, I just did kind of get the sense from that last game that there's just not, you know, there's a little bit to talk about. We obviously have a lot to talk about with uh, Washington, State's, Washington State's upcoming opponent, Ryan Collingwood from the Spokesman Review, going to join us to talk about the Eastern Washington Eagles. And of course, the last time the Cougs ran into the Eagles was 2016. And we all unfortunately remember how that went. Hoping for not a repeat of that one. But we will talk to Ryan, uh, see how the Eags are doing this year. They actually have the number one offense in the FCS so far through two games, which is just very encouraging. Uh, <laughs> so we'll talk to Ryan here in a little bit, um, and we'll discuss uh, this game here coming up as well. And as always, we end with a done ahead of the week. Ask Michael anything. Um, I mean, I just it's you know what do you what do you really take from a game against? San Jose State that that really and truly is a very very bad football team and I think what we said last week uh with Kyle Russo from Mountain West or Wire uh is right too that's the worst team Washington State's gonna play all year and it's it's not even kind of a little bit close how bad San Jose State is compared to literally anyone else on Wazoo's schedule Arizona doesn't look very good at this point but they are certainly better than San Jose State. Same goes for Oregon State and a couple other teams in the Pac-12 that don't quite look the part yet. But I I think that, you know, that that is very obviously the worst team Washington State's going to play all year. And for my part, uh, I wasn't terribly impressed with Washington State's performance on Saturday. Uh, Only 31 points, and it took them... Over 20 minutes, or you know, over 25 minutes actually in the second half to score a touchdown or to score at all in the second half. So 24 nothing at halftime is lovely, and Gardner Minshew pulling the ball on a read option to Max Borgie and diving into the end zone himself is quite ballsy with no time left on the clock. Uh, but he did it, and that the legend of Uncle Rico grows. But you know, I. I don't, I don't ever want to use the betting spread as a bare minimum expectation for things like this, but Washington State was a 34-point favorite, and they couldn't even get there. And, you know, I it, it to me, with how bad we saw San Jose State playing, with how good the defense played for the Cougs, I mean, th- look, this is a team in San Jose State that they had 109 yards of offense. They had 109 yards of offense. If you want to count... What I like to do, which is the yards you gained actually rushing in because the NCAA, I still don't understand this to this day, why they take sack yardage out of rushing. I really don't get it. They had 151 yards of offense. So, I mean, any any way you slice it, the defense played excellently. 2.1 yards per play for San Jose State on the night. They crossed the 50 something like twice. Never ended up in the red zone. So the defense played extremely well, and I will. I, I'm still a little worried about them. We will talk about that as we go on here. But I think, for my part, what Saturday did was confirm to me a little bit that this, you know, this team is 2013. This is the 2013 football team, 
because Gardner Minshew looked like a savant in this offense at times. A couple of passes he had, those passes he had to Tay Martin, and he is fitting throws into tight windows, and he is throwing the ball places Luke Falk did not dare throw the ball last year. It also comes with some mind-numbingly stupid interceptions. He had a couple of interceptions, and it was on two straight drives, actually, in that game that were just mind-boggling why they would be thrown. I haven't gone back and watched the game. I can't remember the exact situation, but I, I believe at least one of them was thrown into, into double to coverage. And that's just, I, I, I you're going to get, you know, come back to that theme of this being the 2014 team. 2013, excuse me, is that Connor Halliday that year and the next, he was going to throw that football in there, whether you know you thought he could do it or not, he was going to do it. And he would come back out there and he would do it again. And the great thing about Connor Halliday, arguably the greatest thing about him, was that he forgot about it. He forgot about it the next time they went out on the field, the next time the offense went out, he'd forgotten about it. And he was going to throw that ball in there again because, damn it, he was going to fit the ball in. And it resulted in some very, very, very stupid interceptions. And I guess I would like to see that not happen against a team of San Jose State's caliber. The Spartans are a terrible football team. And I, you know, I, I don't want. I, I, I guess I could phrase that a little better because I don't ever want to disparage college kids like that. And that, and these guys are trying their hardest, obviously, but they are. They know there is a pretty significant talent gap between them and anybody they're going to play this year, and they're going to have to sneak up on someone in the Mountain West to even get one win. But that, that is a very bad football team, and to only score thirty-one points and to be in fourth down situations multiple times. I mean, you're talking about a team who was in, you know, they, they had to convert multiple fourth downs. Five fourth down conversion tries, and they converted four of them. Partially because they were only 4-14 on third downs, but still, that's a, that's, a lot, that's a lot of fourth down conversion tries. And I suppose you could say they were comfortable doing it because Mike Leach knew that his defense was not going to let the Spartans go anywhere. And actually, that's probably exactly what we can say now that I'm thinking about it and processing a little bit more. You, you, you can make that call because you know your defense is going to stand up and they are not going to allow San Jose State to do anything. I mean, they didn't. Montel Aaron threw for 94 yards on 25 attempts. That's less than four yards per attempt. Malik Roberson had 36 yards on 12 carries. I mean, the defense did... What we expected them to do. I guess for me, I that, that offense in the second half, not awesome. Did not care for it much. Punt, punt, downs, missed field goal. Finally, the touchdown and then interception. Now for Washington State's defense's part, how did San Jose State lose the football? Punt, 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 punt interception. That's good. <laughs> that is very good. I am still a little worried about the defense. I don't think they've played a truly 
kind of competent offense so far this year. Nico Evans for Wyoming is an excellent running back, and they did a pretty decent job of containing him. But Tyler Vanderwall has clearly got a lot of growing to do as quarterback, and this San Jose State team, as we've been saying, is not very good. So, of course, your defense is going to be ranked second nationally in yards per game given up when you play two offenses like that. I'm not trying. I don't want to take anything away from these guys. I thought how they played against Wyoming was excellent. Wyoming could not move the football unless they got it on a short field. I, I think both their touchdowns were scored on a short field after I was either like turnovers or turnover on downs. So I, I don't want this as complaining about the defense, but Washington State is going to play Eastern Washington this weekend. Gabe Gabrud is still on that team. They were one of the best offenses in the FCS last year. They are still one of the best offenses in the FCS this year. They are the number five team in the FCS right now. And for my part, if we never played them again after this year, I would not complain one little bit. There is no benefit to playing the Eastern Washington Eagles. Are you listening to me, Pat Chun? Do not ever again schedule Eastern Washington after this year. And I think the fact that you haven't seen them show up again on the schedule, because it's now been 2012, 2016, 2018, that Washington State has played them, probably speaks to that. That this Washington State is not interested in playing Eastern Washington anymore. And they have opportunities. There are still a number of years in the future where they don't have their FCS team scheduled. But I think it kind of speaks to the fact that there's just there's no benefit to playing Eastern Washington. I mean, you win and or and you should. Okay, there you go. But there's at least a decent chance Saturday and you know a better than zero chance you lose because Eastern's a very talented football team and as always FCS teams have nothing to lose when they come out and they play an FBS team because they are expected to lose they are literally paid to come to the FBS team and lose so what prevents them from whipping everything out of the back of their playbook trying trick plays or just you know putting in full effort on every down this will be the biggest test for Washington State's defense in their first three games. In the first quarter of their season. It's, it's hard to believe with the, at the end of this game on Saturday, we'll be a quarter of the way through the college football season. That, that is sad. <laughs> I think I'm, just, I'm sad about that. Um, but again, the path to six wins featured... 3-0 through your non-conference games. So I think I figure you have got, you've got to pick this one up on Saturday if you want to have a good shot at six wins. Because if you don't, now you're looking at four wins in your Pac-12 schedule. And those are very hard to find. I think the defense has been good. Tracy Clays has worked. If, if he can continue to do this, what he's been doing the first two games of the year... It, nothing short of a miracle worker. And we've we've said this before on this site, and we'll repeat it. The wisest thing Tracy Clays did when he came in was he did not try to mold the players he had into the defense he wanted. He looked at all the players he had, realized that what they knew was Alex Grinch's defense, and guys, we're gonna roll with that until I can recruit some guys who know want to I want to play my defense. 
But for now, we're going to roll with what works. And I'm going to learn what you know. It's a lot easier for me, one person, to do that compared to you know the 50 of you who are playing defense. Let me learn what you know. I think that is commendable for any coach to put his ego aside like that and say, look, I'm going to learn what you know. And we're going to do it this way. You've, you saw more of what you know I think has been a theme in the first two games. You saw more of that on Saturday. The, a lot of blitzing this year because Glaze knows that his secondary can be probably counted on to cover pretty well with Marcus Strong and Darian Moulton and Sean Harper and Jalen Thompson, Skylar Thomas, Hunter Dale when he drops back into coverage too. Those guys can be counted on to cover, so you're going to see more blitzing because... Although the defensive line played well on Saturday, again, they are just not able to get that pressure that last year's defensive line did, so you need to count on your linebackers to get back there and help them and to force these quarterbacks into some tough decisions. And I think you're probably going to see a lot of that this Saturday because you know that Eastern Washington has offensive weapons, so what you're going to do is you're going to see a lot more blitzing of the Eagles because of what Gage Gabru did to you two years ago. You know that... He is a weapon. And so you need to find a way to limit him. And blitzing might be a way to do that. Now you lose contain on him, that and that is probably going to happen at one point or another. You're going to lose contain on the quarterback, and he can punish you with his feet. But I would expect you're going to see a little bit more amped up pressure on Eastern this Saturday because you you just you know you can count on your secondary to cover pretty well. We've seen that through the first two games of the season. And so, Clays is going to lean on blitzing to get that done. So, I really like some of the delayed blitzes they had on Saturday. Jihad Woods is great with for that because the kid is just such a ridiculous athlete that he's he's really excellent when it comes to that. Hell, one WSU a pretty important football game last year doing that. And sacking a guy who threw a pick on his first throw in the NFL on Monday night and then kind of came back and did okay after that. <laughs> But I, you know, to repeat what I said earlier, I think this is probably WSU's toughest non-conference game of the season. After what we've seen Wyoming go through, not only against Washington State, lost that game by more than three touchdowns. They lost again this weekend. And as it turns out, that win over New Mexico State, probably not, you know, indicative of who they were. But they lost 40-13 to to Missouri. They lost 41-19 to Washington State. So that it's a tough pill to swallow for a team that was supposed to be a top, you know, or is supposed to be a top the Mountain West Conference this year, one of the better teams. But Eastern Washington was picked to win the Big Sky. They're number five in the FCS. That makes them better than a lot of teams in the FBS. Probably, I would wager the bottom fifteen to twenty teams at least in the FBS better than them. Washington State better be ready to play them on Saturday because I guarantee you. Part of the reason they came out and didn't score as much as we thought they would on Saturday was they were just ready to, you know, whatever, San Jose State, San Jose State. We're not going to have a problem with them. You are going to have a problem with Eastern Washington if you do not respect them. If you do not respect how good that football team is. Because not only are they good, again, they have nothing to lose. What does Eastern Washington have to lose? Nobody else in the country knows they're number five in the FCS. They just know they're an FCS team. And if Washington State loses to them, it's going to be the third time in four seasons they've done that. And it's hard to shake a reputation once you've built it and you deserve it. You need to take the Eagles seriously. 
because it is not going to be a pleasant feeling for anyone to walk out of Martin Stadium at about 8.30 on Saturday night if the number in the guest column is higher than the one in the home column. I guarantee you that. Ryan Collingwood from the Spokesman Review. We're going to talk a lot more about the Eagles here coming up next on the Cook Center. Here on the Coog Center Hour, we, after spending 16 minutes talking about that last game, I didn't think we were going to do that because it was a pretty blah game and there were all of about 10 people left in the stadium at the end. We're now going to talk about what I called probably the hardest game WSU's going to play in their non-conference schedule against the Eastern Washington Eagles. To talk about the Eagles, we're joined by Ryan Collingwood from the Spokesman Review. His excellent coverage can be found at Spokesman.com and in the paper as well if you live in the Spokane area. And I know Ryan... Spokane area, big into the Eagles. They have a lot of reason to be. Uh, that's a good football team, number five in the country right now. Expectations are pretty high for this football team this year, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, with, with as much experience as they have, they have you know, you know, starters all over the place that have played start has started the last three years. I mean, twenty eight seniors. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. depth is a big part of the the team's success right now. And then, yeah, you know, obviously having Gage Goober, a quarterback of that caliber, is a gonna you know heights and expectations as well we talk about gage gibrud or gibrud i can never say this kid's name it's gibrud Gibru. okay yeah, there we go I, yes and i called him i learned that about two months ago i called him so, gabe yeah, earlier I'm, I'm too it's, just, it's like he's like the most random and i think mike leach asked who somebody was talking about earlier this week which is just great bulletin board material mike um he <laughs> washington state fans if you are not familiar with him you you had better be because he tore up washington state last time they played in Pullman. I think he completed something like 34 of his 40 passes for an ungodly number of yards. What what makes this kid so special? Because, I mean, you just look, the superlatives on his, on his what he's done this year just so far, I mean, he's averaging damn near 10 yards a pass. It's, it's insane how good he's been so far this year. Oh, he's just a, he's a real cerebral guy. I mean, I, he, has, he, has a, he has a pretty good arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like, you know, like, you know, something insane, like, a lot of those FBS guys, but it's, it's a really good arm. He's, he's, he's got great vi- vision of the field. Um, he, he, he's deceptively quick. I mean, he's actually a pretty fast guy. I, mean, mm-hmm. I know uh, Leach said that he didn't think he was that fast, but I, I mean, he's faster than your average Joe. That's for sure. And when he yeah. gets out in space, he's pretty impressive. Uh, he, you know, I, he's the kind of guy who just fits perfect in the kind of offense they run up there. I yeah. mean, he's just, he's a pretty smart guy. He's got, you know, a pretty solid arm. You get the right pieces around him, mm-hmm. and he's a you know he's a he's a he's a gamer. He he wants to take it to defenses. He'll he'll keep it himself. And uh, this year he's been a little more assertive and, and chucking it down the field, and that's been pretty uh pretty big in their success so far. Yeah, 
I want to talk a little bit about their last game they played against Northern Arizona because obviously they kind of wiped the slate or, you know, they kind of wiped Central Washington off the map as they should. That's kind of the same situation with an FBS team playing an FCS team, Central Washington's Division II. Uh, but Northern Arizona was voted to finish third in the conference this year, got some first place votes uh, in both the coaches and the media poll uh, as well. And Eastern needed to hold on against them, but they did hold on. How did they look in that game uh, down in Flagstaff? Well, for about the first quarter and a half, it looked like world beaters. Um, it was a, it was a strange game. It, 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 the, the first play of the game, uh, the quarterback Case Cook just takes a you know a bad snap, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, and it goes right it goes right towards the, near his own end zone. He has to kick it out of bounds. So 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 right off the bat, they're at their you know near their own end zone, and they have their punt. They punt. Eastern goes down there and scores pretty quick, and then they go down there. Uh, Northern Arizona gets the ball back again. Comes down, Cookus, who, who eventually goes out of the game late in the first quarter with a with an injury, throws a pick, and then Eastern goes down there. Uh, Gubrud finds uh, Simba Webster, who's been amazing so far these first two games, and you got a 14 to zero lead mm-hmm. just a matter of minutes, and that pretty much set a tone. Um, but Eastern, they uh, their defense, I think, is what I think we all kind of knew that their offense would do what they've been doing for the last decade or so. Yeah. But it was a matter of, you know, if their defense can get the timely stops and, uh, you know, last year they, they struggled. They were 115th, I, I believe in, in total defense, but with so much experience and so much athleticism and depth, you know, it, it was a bound to come together at some point, but mm-hmm. uh, I think the biggest surprise right now is the defense and how they've been coming along so far. Talk about them in a little bit. I, I want to keep touching on uh, the guys on offense for Eastern Washington because I think that's the big concern uh, for Washington State fans. We saw what they could do uh, a couple of years ago with Gabrud and Cooper Cup. Uh, you still have Gabrud there. You have Sam McPherson running back, picked up 164 yards on the ground. Uh, and you mentioned Simba Webster had 176 yards receiving uh, on just seven receptions. And I, you know, I was a comm major, but my very quick math is that that is 25 yards per reception. And that is an insane number to average per reception. Um, how, how good is this, this? This offense is kind of, seems like it's humming along like it did a couple of years ago when the Eagles came down to Pullman. Yeah, uh, I think last year, that receiving core they had last year was, was solid. But there wasn't a guy who was out there just, you know, it, it's really hard to recover from losing three guys who get NFL sniffs. I mean, and Cooper Cup and Kendrick Bourne are actually in the league right now. Right. And then uh, the third, uh, Shaq Hill, he, you know, he got a camp invite. So that's three guys who were 1,000-yard receivers, you know, plus at your disposal. Mm-hmm. That's what Gubert had when you, when, when, when Wazoo faced Eastern 2016. Uh, so there was a bit of a drop-off there last year. That, I mean, they had solid receivers, but they were more possession guys. I mean, there they were times where they did kind of – look pretty athletic and get down the field and look fast. But for the most part, they were, you know, they, they kind of chunked away at defenses. And I think uh, Bodie Reader, who's a pretty good young offensive coordinator for Eastern, he's really making a name for himself. Um, they've made it a point to kind of, okay, we need to, we're going to go out there. We're going we're to chuck it down the field. And we're going to use mm-hmm. our speed. And, and, and Simba Webster, that guy is about as fast as you'll see at any level. And he's, he's not the biggest guy. He's 5'9", 5'10", but he, He's been getting behind defenses, and a big part of that is. And, and last year, they kind of had Simba more as a on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, now they've kind of slid him in as at the slot, and a lot of safeties are getting matched up on him, and that's just not good no. <laughs> because he's he's very very fast. So that's what's going to be interesting is you know, you know Central you know Central 
their secondary was actually supposed to be pretty pretty good. Like they had like a lot of guys back from a pretty good G two year, mm-hmm. and then uh, NAU's actually had all their starters back, but their top safety was out last week too. So that's one thing I try to keep in mind is that right. the NAU's top safety was gone last week. But right. um, but Simba Webster has been taking advantage of every mismatch, and he and he's looked good because. Primarily, you know, even over the top, because yeah. in the past, if you look at a lot of his film, he catches, he catches a lot of these, you know, 15-yard ends, you know, these little, you know, quick routes, get the ball in space, go. Uh, but now he's doing both. He's catching, you know, 15 yards in and, and making defenders look silly, and, mm-hmm. and he's going over the top of them. So he's really yeah. shown his versatility this year. Is it kind of fair to say, I mean, I mean, just looking at the numbers for this team, and it, it, it seems true, so, but, so I'll defer to you on this one, but is it kind of just fair to say that this team can – can hurt you from anywhere because you know on the ground through the air you know we're talking about a team that's already racked up I, I think my math is right they racked up about a thousand yards of offense already just through two games they, they can hurt you coming from anywhere so you need to you need to play pretty sound defense to limit them to you know I mean, god it seems like 400 yards of offense just to keep them down too yeah yeah they're pretty they're a pretty versatile group and they're a very confident group I mean Easterns is one of those if you're in a video game like numbers and teams that chuck it all over the field and do whatever, mm-hmm. and, and you and you follow FCS football, Eastern's that team that comes to mind. I mean, obviously, you think of when you think of uh, FCS football these days, you think of North Dakota State running it down your throat and dominating you physically. But if you're yeah. thinking of teams that just light up scoreboards and just have fun, that's uh, that's Eastern. And uh, yeah. and uh, I would say they're pretty balanced. The thing is, we haven't really seen their run game at full strength yet mm-hmm. that's the thing um sam mcpherson they, they kind of have a 1a 1b thing going on in the backfield uh sam mcpherson he he uh, he has pretty decent speed he runs very hard he's a he's a good kid too so you can see good kids do pretty well um but he's a different running back than anton custer he was an uh, all big sky conference pick last year mm-hmm. uh he rushed for about 800 yards and caught for about another couple hundred more so he had, a, he had about over a thousand total yards last year, but he was a, a guy supposed to be some, do some pretty big things this year. He's a total, you know, get the ball in open space and watch what kind of like watch what he does with it. Has that, yeah. that fifth gear, and we haven't seen him yet this year. <laughs> so, and, and uh, I'm not really sure when we will. And I hope uh, I get to see him. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen him play live, so it'd be kind of nice to see what he can do. I was lying on the math, by the way. It's over 1,200 yards of offense. Not to not to blow any more smoke up Eastern's butt on offense here, but it, it is huh? it is by far the best offense Washington State has seen so far this year, and it's it's frankly not even close because Wyoming was just not very good at all, and the same kind of goes for San Jose State. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Eastern defense. You mentioned Ryan that you know not definitely not the unit that is the better of the two. Eastern Washington has so what what kind of has been their biggest bugaboo so far this season defensively uh probably defensive line I think they they were kind of you know they're, they're still kind of adjusting to some things on the defensive line but they're still better I mm-hmm. mean I, I can't really point to a, a, a glaring weakness right now on the defense yeah just based on what I've seen I mean I mean they played a D2 team and they played an NAU team that you know um they did pretty well against, and the, the thing is, NAU, NAU's offensive line was very inexperienced, and they were missing a starter from a, from a that was already inexperienced as it was. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Central Washington, they actually had a pretty good Division Two line. Like they were, uh, they returned like four or five guys, and right. uh, they were they were big, and they were they looked like an, like more of a decent 
they would be a decent FCS line. They don't have the depth of FCS teams, but that central line was was solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I thought Eastern. It looked, appeared to me that the Eastern had more trouble with uh, the Central's line than NAU's. But uh, but I'd say right now, you know, they're they're, they're looking pretty solid. Um, the secondary is very experienced. The linebackers are. It's just there's so much experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really seen them get totally exposed by anyone yet. I mean, obviously yeah. they've had their things where. You know, you know, they've had some tough plays, but right now, I'm, you know, that's why I'm, I'm just as eager as, you know, any other person that wants to see, you know, to see if how they do against a team that's on paper better than them right now. Because right yeah. now, Washington State, I mean, naturally, an FBS Power Five school is going to have more dudes on paper that are better. Maybe not at every position, but at most. So that's why I'm, I'm really eager to see how this Eastern defense does against yeah. Washington State. Well, you kind of mentioned, you know, they 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 have returned a lot of experiences. That is kind of their biggest strength right now is they just have a lot of guys who have played a lot of football games and are able to, because, you know, just looking at, I mean, the raw stats from the NAU game, you know, you mentioned the Central game as well that, uh, that you know, they, they clamped down on them pretty good in, at points. But, the right, you know, NAU seemed to move the ball pretty decently. I'm going to... I hate the uh-huh. whole, you know, the yeah. ball flies backwards yeah. and the net loss of yardage crap. I already mentioned that today, but over 460 yards of offense. So this is, and I know Eastern had a little trouble with the air raid last time they were down here, and now they got a quarterback in Gardner Minshew who's not afraid to throw the football all over the yard. Uh, is that something they need to be, you know, kind of really extra preparing for? Because you mentioned that experience in the secondary, but Washington State is probably, I mean, arguably the best passing team they're going to see all year. Definitely, definitely. Uh, they're not going to see a team with eight to ten receivers who are all pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're going to they're going to see teams that have one and, and two, maybe three, pretty good ones. Like last week, they saw an Emmanuel Butler guy uh, who was going to be an NFL player with NAU. Um, they they see guys like that every so often, but uh, Washington State has eight to ten guys who at any time can go in there and and, and do their thing. So, mm-hmm. and that's you know the, the you know the Eastern Washington secondary their depth and experience versus Washington State uh, receiving core with a lot of explosion and speed and, and, and the things they can do um, that'll be interesting I mean I guess right now you'd say to advantage Washington State but we'll see mm-hmm. um, just just because just based on numbers alone but but like but like what Mike what Mike Leach said yesterday in his press conference that I think he says that I think that um, our first level and their first level there's not a big difference so yeah and that's gonna be that's gonna, that's gonna be the thing that kind of you know but throughout the game, you know, as the game gets, you know, grinds down, how is how is Eastern secondary going to do against, you know, mm-hmm. these fresh legs coming in and, you know, doing their thing against them? Give me a prediction what you think uh, for Saturday, because, you know, as I've said a couple of times, I happen to think this is the hardest, you know, non-conference game Washington State's going to play all year. As it turns out, Wyoming may or may not be a very good football team, and their offense certainly didn't look good against Washington State. And San Jose State is just in a woeful shape, and I, you know, I think Eastern would pretty much have their way with them. But give me uh, an idea for what you think the final score is going to be on Saturday, or maybe not final score, but who you think is going to win. I think it'll be it'll be a fun game. I mean, if you're if you live in this area, just get down there and watch this thing. It's going to be a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of uh, balls and chucked around a lot, and uh, we're going to see a lot of dynamic offenses and. and and some pretty good defensive plays too, but I think um, I got to give the edge to Washington State here. Just I think their offensive line will give Gardner enough time to operate with those with those uh, with those receivers. But mm-hmm. I also think that you know conversely, Eastern can 
can move the ball. I think they can move the ball in Washington State as well. But yeah. I think it's going to be, you know, every, the last two times these teams have played each other, they've been pretty close. I think it was 24 to 20 in 2012 and then yep. 45 to 42 two years ago when Gage Gerbert had insane, insane stats. Yep. Um, but, um, I think it'll be something. It'll be something like 2016, where we see something that comes down to those last two drives, a special teams play, uh, you know, a turnover. Um, uh, Eastern's uh, kind of had trouble with penalties the last couple of games. That might come into effect. Maybe they'll clean it up this week. But um, this is an Eastern team that I think will do great things in the Big Sky Conference. Uh, but this week is they'll get better. I think they'll get better from a game like this. And mm-hmm. um, I'd probably say Washington State, like 46 Eastern. 40 okay okay so bring some tums is what you're telling me that's that's what yeah. i that's what i hear yeah, bring some fun. some sort of antacid game. something to chew yeah, on like a eastern stick has, eastern has some dudes but it's just one yeah. of those things you know there's a reason that there's a difference between these two programs but yep uh i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be fun Ryan Collingwood from the Spokesman Review. You can read his great coverage of Eastern all week leading up to the game. We thank him for his expertise. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Ryan Collingwood for joining us again, giving us the skinny on the Eastern Washington Eagles and everything we need to know about the Cougs FCS opponent this year. Um, Some of you may have heard there's a rather large hurricane bearing down on the Eastern Seaboard. More specifically, the Hurricane Florence is aimed pretty much directly at North Carolina, which our own, where our own Jesse Casino lives, so I hope he's going to be okay, and I hope he's all hunkered down, but also uh, where my brother and sister-in-law and my two-and-a-half-year-old nephew live, and his, my brother-in-law's entire family lives. And on the very eastern side of the state, where I have seen multiple weather graphics that call that area likely, or say that area is likely to suffer catastrophic damage from this hurricane, which is now strengthened, by the way. It has strengthened to a Category 5 as I speak. And, of course, that could change as you're listening to this because this is not live. But a number of schools on Tuesday went ahead and canceled football games for this weekend. Or they've moved them up to Wednesday to get them in before the hurricane hits. And, of course, there are many insufferable people who cover college football, who cover sports in general. I am one of them at times. I can get cowherdy. No, I I don't ever get cowherdy, no. Don't, no, Michael, you don't do that. But Danny Cannell has to be among um, the most insufferable of them. Danny Cannell on Twitter. Hate these games being canceled due to hurricane. Couldn't they have waited another day or two to see what the impact of the hurricane is, if any, at all? 
It's Category 5 Hurricane, Danny. The damn thing is currently wider than the state of North Carolina. Even if it doesn't hit that track specifically that they think it's going to, which, by the way, is right into my sister and brother-in-law's house about an hour east of Raleigh, it's still gonna damage a lot of stuff just in the path of every single school that has canceled a game so far. Any game that's been going that's going to go on in North Carolina has pretty much been canceled, and a lot of nearby games as well. But Danny Cannell saying, I grew up in South Florida. That's why I think this. You know how many times storms either shift course or get downgraded? Yeah, man. I do. But this is a Category 5 hurricane hurtling right towards North Carolina. I, I, I really don't have a problem with schools wanting to be proactive early in the week before anybody needs to go out and practice, you know, I mean, you know, significant practice time towards their next game before, you know, at a time where they can also perhaps cancel charter planes without a penalty. They could cancel hotels without a cost incursion. They could save themselves some money. I think that's another part of this you didn't think about. I I don't know exactly how those contracts are written, but maybe there's a way some of these schools could save some of their travel costs by canceling the game this early in the week. And also just the safety of everyone involved with a Category 5 hurricane bearing down on them. Danny, I don't care that you're from South... Look, I understand these things can change and move and because... I live in the Pacific Northwest, and our weather changes all the friggin' time. Do you know how often it doesn't snow here when they say it's going to snow? And I understand the forecasting challenges of having another body of water between two mountain ranges with also many microclimates in the area. But give me a break with this wait-another-day-or-two crap. Don't even allow fans to plan to come down there. Just say, look, game's not going on, guys. Don't even plan to come out. Because you know there are some people who would plan to still try to go to the game if they were trying to have it. That's just how it goes. Even if this hurricane gets, like, by some miracle that only God could provide, if this thing gets downgraded to a tropical storm before it even hits the outer banks of North Carolina, if it got downgraded all the way to a tropical storm from a Category 5 hurricane, do you still really want to play through that? Like, like, when you jump into his mentions on that tweet, he's saying, well, I, I've seen things downgraded or they turn in the past. I'm just saying, wait, even if it weakened from its current spot, which is as strong as a hurricane can be categorized, do you want to play through a tropical storm? Do you want to play through rain that's falling at an inch and a half an hour? No, you don't. You're going to be miserable. People are going to get sick. The field's going to get torn up if it's grass. It's going to get absolutely torn to shreds. Players are going to get hurt. It is a dangerous experience. You don't you don't even want to play through a tropical storm, let alone a hurricane. It just doesn't matter. And look, this hurricane could turn back out into the Atlantic Ocean and never touch North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, 
and the countless other places it's aimed at right now where at the very least it's going to dump inches and inches of rain. But I would rather these schools be proactive about safety. Prioritizing the safety of their student-athletes, treating them like the students they are. Because that's what they are. It says student-athlete first. It says student-first in that. Treat them as they are, and for the safety of anybody who would still be dumb enough to try to come to a game while a hurricane is bearing down on the stadium they are attending. Just leave, just put the possibility to bed and say, look, we're being proactive. Every forecast we've seen is that it's coming straight at us or near us. We're just not even going to bother. And if it turns, great. Perfect. We didn't need to cancel the game after all. But you know what? We were being proactive about it. And I would rather that be the case than for anybody to have to cancel a game a day before because, oh crap, we should have done this earlier in the week. Give me a friggin' break, Danny. It's a Category 5 hurricane. Let it go. There weren't a bunch of intriguing games anyway. Jesus. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything. It should be Danny Cannell should be my Dunderhead, but I needed... More than the four minutes of Benny Hill would allow for that on the Coop Center Hour. Thunderhead of the week time. And this is a personal one. This is, uh, I, I am the Dunderhead of the week. Before, well, this is on Friday, before the uh, home opener against San Jose State, we were able to play golf at uh, Palouse Ridge. Course is in really good shape, by the way, if anybody wants to go out uh, or is thinking about playing it uh, this weekend, or for that matter, any weekend <laughs> at Washington State as a home game. Um,. And play great on the front nine. I think the front nine's a little harder there. Uh, anybody who has played there, I think, could probably attest to that. Um, but on the back nine, I went par, 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 bogey, par, par, par. Yeah, it's seven. Seven holes, guys. Okay, so you had 17 and 18 to go. I was one over. I am playing like the nine holes of my life. And then on 17, which is kind of a longer, you know, shorter par 5, that you can get 2-2 two two if you hit a drive hard enough. And I did. And I was within striking distance of getting there in 2. And I thought, you know what? Get out the fairway wood and knock it on the damn green. Because you want to have an eagle opportunity here. You chickened out on 10 because of how, the, how punished you can get going right. And I know there's water over there, but just do it, man. Come on. You only live once. 
Anyway, I double bogeyed the hole because it had water. <laughs> Just play play bogey golf, guys. If you're if you're like me, don't do it. You know, you're gonna you can say you're only gonna live once, but more more times than not, you're gonna end up in the water hazard, and you're gonna end up taking a double bogey, and then on the next hole, I know I, I was double bogey on 17, and then I triple bogeyed 18. Because then you're just going to unravel and it's just going to look just 90 different kinds of awful. So just play golf. Just play your kind of golf and it'll all be okay. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything we're gonna save the best one for last because it really truly is like the first time when i've said ask me anything wow uh at jimmy the coog do you have to go to for purchase what or do you have a go-to for purchase food choice at martin stadium i think we addressed this earlier in the year but i'll answer it again just like a hot dog and i'm a sucker for stadium nachos you know with like the pump cheese queso stuff and the salsa oh yeah that's my although I, they have reuben tots over in the student section now that is wasted on the students absolutely wasted at Ballard Coog 206, he has a few questions. Is GM2 a good nickname for Gardner? Uncle Rico, I'm still going with that. Will the swinging gate formation continue to evolve in Pac-12 play? Very well may. I did see it last week, but I don't think you really needed to. Week by week guesses for uniform combinations. I'm going white, gray, white this week. And which South Pac team will the Cougs face in the conference championship game? Uh, UCLA. UCLA, probably. Uh, he has a, another question. Are there any cheat codes for landing a place to stay in Pullman on a football weekend with two to four week notice? Uh, not really. I ju- you just got to cruise Expedia and Airbnb and kind of hope that somebody dumps their hotel. And you usually got to be okay at the very least with staying in Moscow. Uh, there's better Lyft and Uber service now. And uh, College Cabs, by the way, I downloaded their app last weekend. I really recommend it. Prices were pretty reasonable. And I, I, I liked them. I thought service was pretty good. They're not paying me for that either. At not Kenna, Mattifus. I don't know how to say that name. Sorry. On a scale of one to ten, how disappointed are you with Pac-12 network availability, coverage, and game overlap? Will it get better anytime soon? Uh, probably not. I mean, when you have all those, especially right now, all these non-conference games, you have to kind of cram them in quite a bit. And I, you know. Three-hour windows are really what you can do because you got a game at 11, 2, 5, and 8, and you can't, you cannot push kickoff back any later than 8 o'clock. That was a really bad kickoff time. I mean, I know we've had 7.30 and 7.45, but 8 o'clock really is as late as it ever should go. So it, it's only really bad, I think, during the non-conference season. I think during the conference season, you could probably give games a three-and-a-half-hour window or even a four-hour window, and I think the Pac-12 does do that. So it gets a little better uh, during the season. At WSU Brady 27 how did they mess up the back-home video? They played chunks of it that had to be cut off, then come the third quarter, didn't play the whole thing. That plus saying they were adding clips of Tyler. not To not play it seems like a pretty big screw-up. I... Honestly, just chalk it up to being the first game of the year. It was just an operations whoopsie-daisy. Maybe some new people up there. You had also extra stuff you were doing, obviously, as a tribute to Tyler on a Saturday. So I think things will be a little better this Saturday. And then for homecoming as well, you got to really, you know, it's kind of a, you know, dress rehearsal and get San Jose State. Not a lot of people in the stadium, luckily, either. At Totes McStose, I think these guys have questions every week. I love it. What is the best Dr. Pepper knockoff? We all know Mr. Pibb or Dr. K are superior to Dr. Pepper. A, you're half right. Mr. Pib is superior. Pib Extra, what the hell are they calling it now? Pib Extra? I don't know. Dr. K, though, no. I'm, I'm not comfortable rolling with that as 
superior to Dr. Pepper. At Ryan Callie 18, Ryan Callahan, would you rather lick the floor at Mike's or take a toozie in the downstairs no stall toilet at Valhalla? I didn't say anything. The toilet at Valhalla. I not even close to wanting to lick the floor at Mike's. Washington State 45, Eastern Washington 38. Pretty close game. Washington State can pull it out late. We'll see you in Pullman this Saturday on the Coop Center Hour.